I'm Colleen. And we combined have lived in Iraq for... 11 years. We get a lot of questions about life in Iraq, and we decided that the best way to address those questions is to do a little podcast. So we're going to answer some questions that are really common. The ones that get asked all the time. Yeah, because apparently it's a weird thing living in Iraq. Who knew? So strange. So this week we're going to finish up our um, holiday series. Part three. Part three. So we did American Holidays in Iraq, and then we did Nowruz. And this week we're doing Islamic Holidays. Right. Um, And so kind of as a precursor, we want to say that as... Americans, we didn't really know that much about Islamic holidays before we went, and so we wanted to make sure that we did our research on these holidays before we talked about them. So this is the first podcast where we've actually, like, looked stuff up. And there's a lot of stuff out there, and there's a lot of different views and perspectives on things, and different areas have different practices, and there's Sunnis and Shiites. And and more. And more. And more Um, than that. And so... We're just, we're really only going to address the parts of Sunni Islam that we experienced, that we ran into, and that kind of affected what we experienced in northern Iraq. So we're going to give like a little summary of the four big ones that we experienced. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're by no means going to cover all of the ins and outs of all of these things. And it is highly likely that we're going to get something wrong because we have misinterpreted something in our research. But we're doing our best. Yeah. So so forgive us if we get something wrong. Let us know and we will record a correction. Yeah. We're happy to do that. Um, so Colleen, you get to go first. Well, so a few things to start with that kind of apply to all of these holidays that you have to understand is that these are based on a lunar calendar, not on a solar calendar. So they are all rotating through the year based on the moon. And so it's not going to always, each of these is not going to always land on the same day of like an American or Western calendar. Right. And even if these holidays are on an American or Western holiday or calendar, sorry, they are not necessarily like definitely starting that day because some parts of the world, like Ramadan, for example, depending on where you are and like, if you can see the moon, like there are tons of variants on on the dates of these things. So mm-hmm. we're not going to be like, Ramadan always starts on August 17th, because it doesn't. Because it doesn't. No. Instead, sometimes it starts this date, and sometimes it starts that date, and then, like, every year, everything pretty much moves about 10 or 11 days. So it's a little bit, it makes life a little bit unpredictable in Iraq. Right. Because you can't, Like, you can't know that you're going to definitely have this day off. Mm -hmm. Because it might not be on that day, it might be on a different day. And that's true of all all of these holidays. All of these holidays. And sometimes, I think, because, you know, we grew up in the United States and we have these ideas and expectations about the school year and how everything just always fits on the right day and that kind of stuff, Mm. it's hard that sometimes that holiday that you remember happening last year around that time of year or, like, 
in that part of the school schedule is not actually there. It, it, it always sneaks up on you because it's always 11 days earlier than you remember it being from last year. Yep, so it can make it hard to plan. But they're, they can be enjoyable to them. Oh, yeah. It's always fun. I mean, in some ways, you don't have the same kind of work up to it or something. Right. So the first holiday that we're going to talk about is probably one of the most disputed Islamic holidays, which I didn't know actually until I started researching it because it was one that was celebrated in Mm -hmm. Kurdistan. I didn't realize it was such a big deal and there was so much controversy about celebrating Muhammad's birthday. Right. You would think that everyone would kind of be in agreement about when and why and how. But they don't agree on any of those things in the broader, broader scope of what I read about. But for us and for, you know, our experience, it was always a day off of school. Woohoo! And children would sometimes take candy to neighbors or ask for candy from the neighbors or sing and dance. And like, it was weird. I could never quite keep track because it was a little different every year. I remember, I definitely remember getting candy from children I also definitely remember children coming to my gate with, like, their hands out and, like, speaking to me in Kurdish and me being like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> I Also, I don't have candy. Like, I don't just keep candy around my house. Why not, Hannah? I know. I'm a terrible person. You should just have candy for I'm, children all the time. I never had anyone come and sing, though. Mm. Or dance. Yeah. I don't know if this particular memory actually was on Muhammad's birthday. <laughs> right, because it's hard to keep track of. <laughs> it's hard gotcha. to keep track of. But, yeah, I remember, I remember kids coming and singing and dancing and then wanting candy. But this is, even across the board, one of the least expressively celebrated mm-hmm. Muslim holidays. Like It's not like a holy, holy day. Right, it's not usually big parties. Like, usually if they sell it, people celebrate it, it's reading the Quran or just taking a day off or... You know, something else that's kind of small and just with your family. Which is a huge contrast to the next one that I'm going to mention, which is Ramadan, or as my Kurdish friends pronounced it, Ramazan. Which I think is more Persian influence, is Ramazan. Okay. Um, And this is the month of fasting. It's the ninth month of the lunar calendar. And it's coming up soon. It is coming up soon. This year, 2018, it is starting on the 15th or 16th of May, depending on who you talk to, and depending on when the new moon is actually seen, which, depending on which area you're in, could be seen by the mullah or the religious leader for that area at a different time. And so even people within the same tradition could have their Ramadan start on a slightly different day. Right, like... In if in Dehuk it's cloudy and rainy and nobody sees the moon, Ramadan doesn't start that day. Well, it depends on whether or not they're listening to some specific mullah in some specific area. Okay. Because of, you know, mass communication nowadays. Like that's true. They that may does say, I things. look to we look to the mullah in Baghdad who, mm-hmm. you know, is the head of this and such and such and Okay. When he decides is when our area just you know okay. decides it starts. So like maybe back in the day, one village would start before a different one right. because of weather conditions. Right. Or... But now it tends to be a little more regional. 
like okay. wider regional. That that makes more sense to me. When I first ran into Ramadan, it was in the fall. It was really uneventful in a lot of ways. People still did school. It just kind of rolled by. Mm-hmm. And then the holiday at the end fell in just the perfect spot in my nice. school calendar. And it was fantastic. But now, as you can tell, it's moved up through summer and is into the spring almost. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess really is in the spring. And Ramadan in the summer is, is really wow. a different... Yeah, I think... A year or two ago, I know there was an imam that was encouraging people, uh, Muslims in India, not to fast water because it was so hot and so many people were getting heat stroke. He was like, it's more important that you stay alive. So this probably is a good start. They fast Mm -hmm. from sunrise to sunset from water, food, and depending on what else you add to that... It can be extend to smoking, often does extend to smoking, mm-hmm. shaving, makeup, uh, anything considered a bad habit or anything considered unnecessary. Some even go so far as to not even swallow their own spit. That's definitely dedication that, for you. That is, you would have to think about that so much. Yeah. yeah. Like laser focus. Laser focus. And this. That just made me like salivate a lot, just so you know. <laughs> That's like my Pavlovian reaction is like, how wet is my mouth right now? <laughs> um, and it definitely plays a part in how things function, like in the summer when the days are longer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So that's a longer period of fasting. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's, like you said, super hot. So right. the times when I was there and it was more in the summer, people almost became nocturnal. Because people do right. that kind of in the summer right. anyway. But if you're only eating at night and you're only drinking at night and it's super, super hot during the day, you might as well just sleep it away. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that seems the most reasonable thing to me. I know there were definitely days when Ramadan was right at the beginning of the school year that I kind of wished people would just sleep during the day because people get really grumpy. They can, yep. And, like, if you have to go and get your visa from a government worker who hasn't had anything to eat or drink or especially smoke Mm. all day, and, like, one thing is wrong, you have to sit there for hours and hours and hours. Like, I think that was the biggest way Ramadan, like, impacted me, as I remember one year just being like, why is this taking so long? And the person that was helping me being like, well, it was Ramadan, so nobody wants to, like put any effort in because they're all like hungry and thirsty and it's mm-hmm. like oh <laughs> yeah okay that makes so sense. most of the people like will wake up an hour early in the morning or hours early in the morning especially the women who are cooking and preparing the food and they'll have like a pre-dawn breakfast meal mm-hmm. um and then breaking the fast in the evening at sundown which is when you don't want to be on the roads in kurdistan because everybody's trying to get everybody's driving trying to get home and is freaking out and really hungry um then they'll break their fast with something called iftar which is Mm -hmm. the feast of some sort they usually start with a date and some sweet tea Mm -hmm. hot sweet tea not southern sweet tea but they uh then have a feast that usually includes lots and lots of desserts nice it's very exciting, and it's definitely a time where families come together and, like, really focus on, you know, you always have that meal together mm-hmm. as a family. 
Did you ever uh, eat iftar with anyone in Iraq? I did, yeah. Um, not too often iftar, but I did have some different times where I went and had Eid with people yeah. at the end. I never did iftar in Iraq, um, but I did in, in Greece a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was really it was really a neat experience uh-huh. um, to kind of have that. Like, it meant so much to my friends that I was willing to come and eat, eat that meal with them. And in a culture where food is, like, such a big deal, mm-hmm. it was kind of it was kind of neat to see them really enjoy themselves after being hungry all day. Yeah. It's like, okay, now I get why food is such a big deal. Like, I get it on a different level. So there are obviously a few caveats on fasting during the day. Kind of like what you mentioned with the, the oh. imam saying, you know... It's Maybe true. you should drink water because it's right. too hot. If you are too young or too mm-hmm. old, have health problems, are pregnant or breastfeeding, uh, and women during their time of month, all of those are exempt from fasting. And do they have to make those days? Like, I know, like, young kids don't have to make makeup days because right. they're too young, and the old people probably not either. Mm-hmm. Like, they're totally exempted. But, like, if you just, like, get sick and then get better, do you make up those fast days? Yeah, most would say you should if you want to get the full benefit of, of the Ramadan, Ramadan experience. Mm-hmm. Can you, like, pre-fast? Yeah, yeah. I actually know a lady who was doing that just this last week. She knows that, you know, there's going to be some days where she can't fast during the month of Ramadan, so she's started now mm. doing uh, several days now. Mm-hmm. But you can't, like, just not fast one day and then make it up later just for kicks and giggles. Yeah, I've never asked about that. I mean, yeah, maybe? I'm curious. I wonder if that, that varies from, like, tradition to tradition. It probably does. Um, another thing that varies from tradition to tradition is what your reason is for fasting. Charity and giving is a big part of Ramadan. So giving uh, zakat, giving to the poor is a big part of it. And so a lot of people... Uh, tie in the fasting to that and how you learn to be understanding of the poor and you experience something of what the poor experience. Other people I've talked to say, oh, no, no, that's not it at all. (laughs) Like, it's because it's honoring to God or it's because it gains you favor with God or it's what we're commanded to do. So it's an obedience. Mm -hmm. Because it's one of the five pillars of Islam, right? Right. And so depending on the tradition and depending on even who you talk to within, you know, a region, depending on the family and how people were raised, you can get a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. for why, you know, each individual practices right. fasting during Ramadan. But one thing that I feel like is really common, again, is this idea of family relationships and the family getting together. And almost everybody I know really enjoys it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's exciting, Right. Um, I sat with a couple of ladies the other day, and they were talking about how excited they were for Ramadan coming. During Ramadan, there is one special night called the Night of Power, mm-hmm. or the Everyone Night of... Weight lifts? Yeah. No. No. Not that um, kind of power. Also, sometimes called the Night of Destiny. Ooh. Which Ooh. sounds even cooler. And there is a lot... Again, this is not one of those things I ever really knew. There was a lot of argument about until I researched it but which day this falls on I always thought it was 10 days before the end of Ramadan Uh but it's an usually an odd numbered 
day. The, like the day. Within the 10 days before Ramadan. I don't really understand. Okay. Anyway, this is the day where your prayers are more likely to be answered. And also a remembrance of the date where Muhammad first received revelations. And theoretically, if you worship through this night, it equals 1,000 months of daily worship. So, so 83 years worth. So a big deal. It's in, a big deal if if you observe it. Like, if if you think it, it's valid. So it's like debated. Not everyone does the night of power right. thing. But then, whenever, how many ever days after that mm-hmm. that you decide it is, or that the leaders decide it is. Sure. Um, you get the end. Yay. The end of Ramadan. The next new moon. Mm-hmm. Um, again, have to see it. Or have it announced that it has been seen in your region. Um, And this is called Eid al-Fitr. Although in Kurdistan where I lived, it was just called Eid. Or sometimes just feast. The feast. Like if people translated it in English for me. This lasts for two to three days. Sometimes up to a whole week, depending on how people are feeling. How much you want to party. Yeah. And that first morning, during the daytime light, there is the most enormous feast of foods, which felt a little odd to me when I went the first time, mm-hmm. because it's all foods that I would normally associate with, like, dinner time, and sure. here you are eating them at, like, 8 o'clock in the morning, right? and you have your roast chicken and your rice dish, etc., etc. Dolma. Yeah. That was fun, exciting, yeah. very, very celebratory in mm-hmm. feeling, and then the men go out and walk up and down the street, hand out candy or get candy from different homes or and like visit visit it's very neighborly and everybody gets those days off too that kind of wraps up ramadan or ramadan Hmm. in my experience of it yeah and so that eid um at the end of ramadan is one of like the holy holy days right i think it's the second most holy day right right? you left the most holy day for me well Um, you know but before we can talk about that, we need to talk about Hajj, because um, Hajj incorporates this holy day. Right. So just kind of a general overview of Hajj. Hajj happens in the 12th month of the Islamic year, um, and it generally happens from the 8th of the month to the 12th of the month. It's, again, a pillar of Islam that any Muslim who is financially or physically able both of those things. To go on the Hajj Which is, is a pilgrimage, right? Expected to travel to Mecca. And there are all these different things that they do when they're in Mecca for that week, five days of Hajj. Um, and I'm not going to get into all of those because my understanding of them is very surface. But it is a big deal. Um, everyone is, like I said, everyone's expected to go if they're able. Men, women, children. Um, there's not an age limit on it. It's done to remember God providing water for Hagar and Ishmael in the desert when Abraham or Ibrahim takes them out and leaves them there. Oh. Um, it's in remembrance, remembrance of that time. And so some of the things that happen in there you have to do because it's things that Hagar and Ishmael had to suffer through. And then it's also in 
in recognition of the building of the Kaaba, which is what the Hajj is all centered around. Um, you have to walk around the Kaaba a prescribed number of times in a prescribed number of ways. And the Kaaba is like where Abraham... Okay, so in in Islamic telling of the story, Abraham builds this altar to sacrifice his son, which in Islam is Ishmael. Right. And in the Judeo-Christian telling is... Isaac. Mm-hmm. That's what the Kaaba is like covering um, wow. or is built around, is built around that altar. And, you know, it's celebrating also Muhammad coming and getting rid of all the pagan gods that were worshipped there. So it's got a lot of layers. Yeah, there's a lot of layers and a lot of depth to the Hajj, which is kind of why I don't want to get into all of it, because that's like four hours worth of podcasting. Um, (laughs) And that's just from the Wikipedia article that I read. But there are about two million people estimated that went on Hajj last year. Wow. Which it's like in the middle of the desert, so it like transforms... Mecca into a huge, huge city, and like it's actually really impressive. All of the like logistics that they have figured out to make sure everyone has water and food and a place to stay. Like it's it's impressive because it's like having an entire city move into your city for like a for, week each for year. like a week each year. Yeah, yikes. Um, but there has been um a tradition, a history of Islamic governments providing. Um, either transportation or the money needed for their citizens to go on Hajj. Oh. Um, so there's no excuse at that point. Right. And and that's kind of how I ran into Hajj in Iraq, is I remember being in the airport, coming and going a couple times, and there were, like, all of these people where normally the airport is, like, pretty quiet or mostly foreigners. These mm-hmm. were, like, all Kurds, just packed to the gills. And I was like, what in the world? Like, where are all these people going? What is happening? And it was because the Kurdish government was sponsoring families to go on Hajj together. Uh Um, And so, you know, everybody brings all of the everything. Um, One of the things you have to do on Hajj is, or you can do, I can't remember if you have to or not, but you go to the spring, I think you have to, you go to the spring where Hagar got water and you have to drink some of the water um and so one of the things was people bringing back these huge like five gallon bottles of water from that spring and like oh sand from the desert or from the mountains that you have to run between coming into it as a foreigner I was like why does this matter like why do you have all these weird shaped boxes and bottles like this is the (laughs) most ridiculous way to travel now I understand. Right. But I just a... remember being in the airport and being like, ugh, there are so <laughs> many people and I can't get anywhere and they all have like these weird packages and why can't you just put it in a suitcase? But yeah, I... There you go. I'm You're a little, I'm a little embarrassed now because I'm like, oh, like they just completed like something that was really holy and really important to them and I don't think I ever said or did anything that was disrespectful, but my inner heart was not very kindly inclined towards that. (laughs) Yeah, so it makes the airport really, really crowded. During Hajj, there are two to three days, it could be one to three days, um, of another feast, another Eid, um, which in Kurdish is called Korban, Mm -hmm. or Korbani, and in Arabic is 
Eid al-Adha, which is the Feast of Sacrifice. And so this is the day where, whether you're on Hajj or whether you're at home, um, your family will sacrifice whatever you can afford. Right. Animal sacrifice. In the few um, days before this, in my city, you would see taxis with a sheep in mm-hmm. the trunk, like, standing up with the trunk open, but, like, you're like, hmm, I know where that sheep is going. This is a time that is, I always forgot to, like, prepare people for, that, like, hey, if you go outside and there's, like, blood running down the gutters, mm-hmm. don't freak out, like, it's just Corban. People are, like, sacrificing, you know, either a cow or a sheep or goat or chicken Mm. or, you know, whatever the family could afford. What I think is kind of cool about this is that when you sacrifice, whatever animal that you have sacrificed is divided into three portions. And one portion is kept for the family. One portion is given to the poor. And then the other portion is, like, handed out to anyone that, like comes by, like, strangers or foreigners or, like, any non-family member. Or neighbors. Um, Or neighbors. (laughs) Because I always would get this little plastic bag with an assortment of meat meat parts (laughs) in it. Right. Like, I don't know what to do with it. It's like the middle of the day, someone comes and bangs on your gate and, like, hands you a, like, grocery bag full of meat that often had the hair still on it. Yeah, and some of it was, like, a chunk of fat, and one mm-hmm. of it's, like, a piece of bone, and another piece is, like, a, like they try to give you, you know, they're being fair. Right. Everybody gets a little bit of everything. Yeah. And it was always an exciting, like, hmm, how am I going to use this? Come up with a good way. Yeah. I think the first year, we just stuck it in the freezer, and we're like, what do we do with this? Um, and I think I ended up making soup out of it. I think that's generally what I did, too. But yeah, I I also had neighbors who, you know, maybe they weren't sacrificing, maybe they couldn't sacrifice like a whole animal, um, or maybe they were just doing a chicken, but then they would bring me like bread or mm-hmm. candy or um, a rice dish that had some of the chicken in it. Yeah. So um, I kind of appreciated those things more. One, because I realized that like they're, they're giving generously from what they have yeah um and two then I didn't have to deal with raw meat usually (laughs) um I always found it a really fun and exciting like challenge or I try to figure out like I don't even know exactly how Kurdish women deal with the randomness but I always found it an entertaining like ooh, what am I gonna do with this this year yeah yeah and part of the fun is figuring out is this beef is this goat is it sheep does it I, matter? I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it, it doesn't really matter that much. Um, another thing that happens is that on the day of Korban or the day after, depending on how long you celebrate, mm-hmm. um, you wear you wear new clothes and go and visit all your friends. Yeah. I guess I didn't have enough Kurdish friends. I think I maybe got visited once or twice by by neighbors. Mm-hmm. But I do remember being at another American's friend's house and being like, why are there so many people wandering up and down your street? And they were like, oh yeah, they're going to visit all of their, their friends in the neighborhood. Like the men will go visit the men or mm-hmm. they'll go to like the central like community house and like hang out. I feel like, I'm not sure my neighbors did that that much. 
Um, but it's definitely a de hook thing. It sure. was very much. It it seemed kind of like Christmas mm-hmm. in the sense that like all the kids got new toys. Yes. And so depending on the year, like there was one year all the kids got balls. Mm-hmm. And, like, it was a soccer extravaganza mm-hmm. out in the street. Another year, they all got guns. And it was, you know, a war. And But the, all the kids from the whole neighborhood are all playing together, yeah. like, as a giant mass. Which, they didn't actually normally do that much. Mm. They kind of had little groupings of them. But, sure. like, you get everybody in the neighborhood all together working on whatever exciting new thing was this year's gift of choice. Like all good holidays, most Islamic holidays are creating a sense of community. Mm-hmm. I would say probably most Kurds, that's probably what they appreciate it. I know a lot of my students were just like, oh yeah, it's a time when all our family gets together. I don't necessarily know the ins and outs of the religious reasons, but yeah, you know, I, I know A, B, and C, mm-hmm. and, but mostly like my cousins are all here. Yeah. Um, and we would have families come in for, like, that had moved to the U.S. or to Sweden. Uh-huh. They would come in and celebrate either Ramadan or uh, Korban with their families. Right. But yeah, those are the four big ones. There, there are lots of other ones. Like, I think there's a celebration of when people come back from the Hajj as mm-hmm. well. Like, a week after their return, there's a party. And there's also, like, other political holidays that we would occasionally get school off for different historical events or politicians' birthdays or things that would sometimes be one year and not the next year, depending on who was in charge politically. Right. Like, sometimes we got off for the liberation of Erbil, and sometimes we did not. You know, depending on the year, there are all these other little bits and pieces that float through that... And sometimes there would be no explanation. Like yeah. Today's a holiday. Like, Today's a holiday. For what? Oh, something political. Or, oh, it's a religious holiday for this sub-sub-subgroup. And so we're just, everybody's going to get it off. So we definitely by no means have covered all of them. There's no way you could. Especially because they change from year to year. That's true. Probably this is is the last holiday podcast that we're going to be doing. There you go. No more celebrating, Hannah. No more celebrating. Now it's just work, work, work. Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Inappropriate, Colleen. (laughs) Not the inappropriate one.